This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. Happy New Year. It's Cami here. First of all, I will be at San, San Francisco Sketch Fest. Why do I have a hard time saying that? I will be at San Francisco Sketch Fest. I'll be at San Francisco Sketch Fest. January 12th. Come on out and see me. As a bringing Query up there, I'll love to meet you. I want to thank all of you who came out to live shows this year. I was all over the place. All over the U.S. I was in London. So, all over the world, according to an American... I also want to thank um, everybody at Earwolf and Stitcher. I want to thank Jordan Duffy, who did such an amazing job of engineering our episodes this year. Sierra Katow, who else? Like, who else? Who else? No. Without Sierra, literally nothing would happen ever, including regarding this podcast. Sometimes I just text her, I go, what, what, is, what is happening? Who am I interviewing and who have I interviewed? And what's and where and is anything? Can you tell me what's going on? So Sierra's the best, truly a treasure, and so are you listeners. Today, on this New Year's Eve, we are looking back at 2018, at all the beautiful combos we had, highlighting some of my faves, and we will hear from you, as you hearing from us, <laughs> we want to hear from you. We'll, we'll, we'll catch you in 2019. How about that? I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still Here's Emmy Award winner Lena Waithe talking about feeling in between stereotypical identities and getting a queer POC lead on a TV show. I never felt like I had a place in my community, my sort of gay community, because I wasn't super, super butch. I just wasn't. That's just like not my lane. But I wasn't definitely not femme. So I was somewhere in the middle. And that kind of left me on the outs in a weird way. Um, And I sort of didn't know where to fit in. And my demo was like straight women and gay men, because I act more like a gay man than I do, I guess, quote unquote, a lesbian. And um, and straight women are just sort of fascinated by me. So (laughs) that was sort of like my crew, which which really does make up my crew. I'm friends with a lot of gay black men and a lot of like straight (laughs) black women and um but then funny enough when I my character was out there in the world and people kind of got to know me then a lot of these lesbians started popping up like oh you're dope or you represent for me whatever and I'm like oh okay cool dope so now we kind of like have like a lot of pen pals um from like on dm and twitter and things like that which I really appreciate because I feel like that's my community um but it was definitely an interesting road because I'd be at clubs and I'm like I don't fit in here like I don't drink I don't have that many tattoos I was like I don't know where I stand um but, we're also like yeah. a similar ish. We're we're a similar age, um, and so like that also means that. Well, for me anyway, like when I was trying to figure out who I was and where mm-hmm. I fit, the internet wasn't yet. It was like right. really just being built. Yeah. So there wasn't an opportunity to like find people that might be more in a gray area, or like right. just anybody that no, you're, you're like, right. oh, there's a whole different. All you, you know, saw was what you was you went out. That's all you exactly. saw. That's all the exposure you had. Then yeah. also, especially coming from, I mean, like a city like Chicago, mm-hmm. um, 
I'm very curious as to what your experience, like where you even, where you were even going because Chicago is also such a racially yeah, yeah, segregated yeah, so city. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I, we would go to Boys Town, but again, that's more for like the guys, obviously. I mean, hence the nickname. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think. There was, uh, now I can't remember the names, but my, I did have like my first like gay friend, uh, Armand, a gay black boy. Uh, but like he would take me to certain places, but it just was never my jam. It's mm-hmm. just, but even like now, like I, I don't know if it's my, it's funny because when I came out here, I would do truck stop, which I don't even know if it's a thing anymore now. Uh, they made to have like I don't a ladies' night. Is. I don't know. Okay. It was a thing that used to, it was like right next door to the Abbey. Mm. Um, Crap, and I don't know. It's maybe called something now. That's the weird thing too. It's like you know, WeHo. It's like the club's names are changing, and it's been so long since I've been down there. So who knows what's going on now? But um, but I just kind of felt like there were, they, and they do. They have these sort of nights, you know, and because there are there are different categories in within our community. Yes, and and I kind of feel like in Chicago you don't have as many options. You have like you know, it's like the guys eight five four five four days of the week, and then one night it's the girls. But then I felt like the girls particularly out here too it would be like couples couples would come out and you would see the masculine chick with the feminine chick or you see two masculine chicks together or two lipstick chicks together it was very like those were the two categories and I was like I don't really know where I fit and um and even my own experience now in my relationship I'm with a woman who identified as straight before we were a couple you know and now I think she sort of doesn't like labels period because she's like I don't really know where I fit um so it's and she and I met out here you know organically you know in the workspace and we ended up having drinks and really falling in love fairly very quickly but that's the thing I never really kind of bought into okay here are the rules or here's how I'm supposed to date or here's who I should be going after but even like now like I don't like the club space is just not my thing because yeah because I'm an artist I think as well because I'm a person where if I'm out I want to talk to somebody about like what do you think of call me by your name like or you know have you read Ta-Nehisi Coates latest book like those are that's who I am as a person so I don't know if I'm having that conversation at a club you know with a drink in my hand I think part of what you're talking about is also been well so like for instance in Chicago you're you're right it's like so boys town like you and I could go there sure and but it's not we're we're literally not in the name of the place and then also we would have really different experiences very true because of our skin color Yeah, yeah yeah and then like Andersonville is a place where like there are a ton of white people that have like maybe fucked up queer haircuts, but uh-huh. there aren't a ton of brown people or right, black people. Right. And then like, I, I think that some of this, there's a younger generation than us uh-huh. that is like having a very different experience. Absolutely, It's a, a little more mixed up now, a little more mixed up, a little less like alcohol centered. Like I'm great. seeing events that maybe would speak more to the like, Oh, this is like a conversation or like an art show or like, mm-hmm just like some gender fuckage coffee shop night. Right, and right. that is cool because I really didn't feel like I had that either. I mean, I guess like maybe I went to dance a couple times in my youth, but I really feel like, cause I'm a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. Part of like what I was doing mm-hmm. in stand-up was like, <laughs> like creating a show that I could go to like mm, literally, but yeah. unfortunately then you hit a point where you're like, Oh, I actually am performing at this show. Right. Which is what you're talking about, also like taking on this mantle. So it's like now you have yeah. this importance in the community, yeah. which is cool, but it also doesn't, you're not like mingling in the community because now you're like this like figurehead person. Well, 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 yeah. And it's interesting because I still, and this is a thing that I don't know, I could be 
not accurate. This may not be right, but I do feel like there is a real community on social media of like black lesbian girls who dress like me. Is there, there's like sort of a soft, sort of like masculine presenting, masculine presenting, as I like to say, group of women. And the thing is, like a lot of them, it's just very funny. Like I didn't see them post about the Thanksgiving episode. Like I didn't see them be like, oh, Lena's our part. You know what I mean? There's an interesting thing where for like, I think the white community or just like other black queer people, like gay, you know, um, black men. Talks, it's like, I rarely, you know, see a lot of that community saying like, oh yeah, we see her or we know her. Or that's our leader. I think because a lot of them are very much like, you know, well, we are our own community because a lot of them have like fan bases. Some of them like, you know, have like, the, it's sort of like these sort of, um, they're like, a, they are like sort of a sub group. And I see them. I follow a lot of them on, on social media, but, and I'm not, asking them to make me that person but it's interesting because I don't think that they sort of needed someone like me because they sort of exist themselves in their own communities in a, in a, in a weird way we're like not in a weird way but I mean like in a way that is 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 not needing Hollywood to validate dude that's actually really cool yeah, it's interesting because like they they like they're, I see they like they have like web series that they're a part of. They do like shoot like there's like this show called The Les Factor. There's um you know this this rapper Temper. There's this person like Carter the Body. She's like a um she's an exotic dancer. Like I know who that person yeah. is. Yeah, it's like they but it's like they you won't see them posting about me now. Mind you, some of them like I, we follow each other. Saya, who's also um queer uh, rapper, super dope. Um, I got to meet Young and May, but it's like they kind of. But Young and May is sort of, I think, a little different. But they really do have their own thing, like you know. And I just try to be supportive, like. Some of them, like there's a group called, have a clothing line called Stuzo Clothing that like I just rocked for, you know, really dope clothes. I always try to support queer brown people who have any kind of business. Like I always try to support it. Sheila Rashid, who does clothes as well. Um, so it's like, I just try to support the community as much as possible and rep uh, for them as much as I can um, because, you know, I feel like we are a unique little family you know we are we have like things in common but but it's true like i don't know if they're always like oh yeah lena's the our our poster because they're their own poster children Mm. in their community like does it feel weird then to have uh people that so the people that did lose their mind about the thanksgiving episode Mm -hmm. like i mean i loved it thank you and i post about it for like similar reasons of wanting to like connect with the community Mm -hmm. but obviously like we're not exactly the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, like, does it, how does that feel? It feels it feels amazing. Like, to people that come up to me, you know, a lot of straight white guys come up and say, I love that episode, you know, uh, which I think is very interesting. And I think that's when art is sort of doing his job because I couldn't be more different from that person. But they're seeing some of themselves in me or in that experience, which is not their experience. But the whole mission is to be as specific as I possibly can, which I really was. I was very vulnerable and like kept it all the way 100 but what my experience was so that way even though I was really specific it, it sort of created this sort of universal thing about everyone's almost feels like it feels like an outsider in their family when they go home for Thanksgiving whether you're gay whether you're different whether whatever it is and um and that was really interesting but what meant the most was when queer people particularly queer 
people of color came up and were like, yo, you finally told like a story that like I can relate to or that's what happened to me. And I mean like Asian people, Latina people, um, you know, Indian people, like, I mean, it ran the gamut and they were like, even though your story was about being black, they're like, that was my thing. You know, I'm Latina or I'm Asian American or, or things like that. And that really meant a lot because I feel like we don't often get our stories told. Um, even in the, in the gay experience, I mean, there's no shade to these shows, but like Queer as Folk, Looking, The L Word, those are still shows that are very much about here's the gay experience from a white perspective, you know? Um, and I think, look, it's no shade to them. Like they doing what they're doing. They writing what they know, but it's still, it's already, you're already a part of a sub community and now you're being left out of a show that, you know, and somebody could point to, oh, there's that light skinned black dude on Looking or what about Tasha in the final season of The L Word? It's like, yeah, they throw us a bone here and there, but it's like, I'm still fighting to get a show on the air that has a queer person of color as the fucking protagonist. That is still something we don't have, and I, male or female. And I think for all the love that we've gotten on Thanksgiving or all the progress that has been made, where's that at? You know, still, I asked my last night about The Bachelor. When are we going to have a gay bachelor on ABC, male or female? When are we going to have a person of color bachelor? And I don't even watch The Bachelor like that. But I know how important it is to the culture. And for us to be left out of it. And yeah, we had a black bachelorette. Great. But to me, like, that ain't nothing. Like, a, a, to me, show me a black male choosing between women. But then it's always like, what kind of connotation would that have? Would people be offended? Would they be pissed? You know, because how many, how many white women would be, would be lined up asking for a role from a brother? So it's like, yeah, we've made some progress, but I, I think about little things like that where I'm like, we still got a long way to go. And even um, I was at dinner with friends last night and I mentioned it and my friend was like, that's never going to happen. He's like, you're never going to have like a black guy, a bachelor. And I go, but just listen to what you said. We can have a black president, but we can't have a black bachelor. Because again, yeah. think about it. It's like, it's, think about how that's real. People don't think about that. We, even the fact that we don't have a show of all the TV, all the, the, the different ways in which one's going to have, it's like a million channels, streaming services. There's no show with a gay male or female person of color or any of those things in the lead role. Yes, that is huge. That's crazy. So I'm fighting to get it done, you know, on my end. I'm trying to get 20s made, you know, and that's been a journey. You know, I'm, I'm feeling good and hopeful that we can get it get it up. Um, but I want that to be the first of many. I'm not trying to be, you know, I don't, I don't need to be, I don't want to be that revolutionary. But if I get that show made, it'll be the first of its fucking kind. New York Times bestselling author Roxanne Gay chatted about identifying as bi after identifying as a lesbian. How do you identify? I don't know. I actually don't know this. Yeah, like I think that's what I thought. That's what I, I mean. Thought. Yeah, yeah, I'm bisexual. I am. Men are okay. I just can't stand men, which is <laughs> funny, I guess. But um, let's see. Yeah, no, when I was 19, I came out as gay and then had, it, which was fine. And then I had many years where I was just uh, strictly clitly. And then, um, I don't know, I, I realized, oh, I'm probably bisexual somewhere in my late 20s. And now I'm still bisexual. But honestly, it would take an act of God for me to date a man ever again. <laughs> well, we will talk about that. Don't worry. But I feel like the narrative, like the prevailing 
narrative in society is that um, if there's any movement between those things, this is what we're this is what we're sold. This is not what our lives are like. Uh, that that like bisexuality can be expanded into full on gay. Like when I, I remember growing up, like that's what I was taught is like yeah. bisexuality is a stop on the road to gay. And it, for you to have that experience inverse, um, what was that like to change your identity in a way that we don't? Like, I don't hear that many stories yeah, that way. Yeah, it was weird because I was very uncomfortable with the fact that I was attracted to men. And um, I also just thought, what a betrayal of everything I believe in to acknowledge this thing. And I, I had a hard time with it. And this was at a time when it wasn't where, – where there wasn't – like, pansexuality was not a thing that people discussed. And – I feel like sexuality and sexual identity was a lot more rigid than it is today. So it, I had a hard time with it. And for a long time, I just didn't admit it. And then, you know, the older I get, the less I care what people think. And so the older I get, it's easier to just admit certain things um, and to be honest about who I am and what I want. And that has been very um, freeing. Congrats. <laughs> Thank Congrats on that feeling. That's a yeah, positive feeling. It is a good feeling. It is a good feeling. And it also turns out that it wasn't like nobody really cares. People just, you know, do what you want to do and be good to other humans. And in general, I think if you just move through the world treating people as well as you can, it's okay to have shifts in who you are or what you want and people will accept that right i, I mean i i find that and you kind of said this and in, in in how you were describing it like the person who m arguably is having the hardest time with that is is you Absolutely. like you said you um oh you just said the wording but like felt like you got rid of all your ideals or like that it went against what you thought. What yeah. were those things that it felt like a challenge specifically? I think shift? just accepting that I was attracted to men when men had treated me so horribly um, and like where I had all this trauma around men. I just thought like, what is wrong with me that I'm still attracted to men? And that really was a very hard thing. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars winner Trixie Mattel chatted about how drag is failure. How? But how? How are you so good at being funny? Tell well, me. Well, I think drag always starts base level. It's failure. Mm. You're not a woman. Everyone in the room knows you're not a woman. It's sort of like if you're going to have technical issues or a wardrobe malfunction or something go wrong, a drag show is the place where it's welcomed. In, oh, my Tamagotchis are beeping. Wait, literally, oh, yeah. Tamagotchis? <laughs> I don't know how to turn them oh off. Oh my god, I, I was trying. I was trying earlier to be like, we're not that. No, we're not that far that. apart in age. But then you have Tamagotchis in your yeah. pocket, so it makes me feel that you might yeah. be a very young child. It's just a testament <gasps> to how like white people don't have real problems. Oh, and you got to feed them, right? That's what you're like. That's what yeah, they you want? feed them. Um, they stay alive. Remember. They've died. They died over DragCon weekend because I got too busy, but they're back to life. <laughs> What is the button where you feed them? Uh, you push the left button, mm -hmm. and it'll show a bread or candy. Oh, oh my God. 
Oh no, okay. I think you. I don't think I. No, I don't you killed my baby. That's I'm okay. sorry. It's um, oh, terrible. But I think um, dra- drag shows. I think it's just like everything should go wrong, and it's fine. And if it's it's like a gift. If the mic goes out, if someone's too drunk, it's just part of the show. And so it's funny because I read like Sarah Silverman's book, and I read Amy Schumer's book, and I've read every comedian's book, and every comedian's story is like. Well, I bombed for 15 years until I finally thought of one good joke, and then I got invited to sit at a table with a bunch of men, and then someone, like, jerked off in front of me, and then I got a special. Yes. Like, it's such a long road. It is. But for drag, Katya and I always talk about, like, we, like, accidentally, like, slipped in the back door, and we're like, yep, we're comedians. We've been comedians the whole time. Like, two years ago, I debuted my first show, which was, like, an hour. My first time doing stand-up, I did, like, a full 45-minute hour, and I was backstage, like... I've lied to them. I've swindled them, and they're all about to find out. But it is—I mean, it, it is—it is true what you're saying that like drag somehow is—it is improv and stand-up. Absolutely. That's why, why people there's drag queens who make entire careers out of doing nothing but walking out unprepared and making a show out of whatever's going on in the room. There's comedians who work like that. Yeah, I mean that—that's that is also what you're. What you were just talking about—that thing where you're starting. I mean, you know, you get on stage like before you actually have anything that's good. Yeah. So much like you're saying, it's a lie. I mean, you go on stage as a comic. Like the first time you walk on stage to do stand up, it's like, are you ready for your next comic? Okay, keep going for Cameron Esposito. And you're not. Were you like you're di- not a comic? I mean, like imposter, you, full you, imposter. You have been introduced this way. Like I guess they expect jokes, but you don't have jokes. Like you have the one thing you wrote, and then you're just gonna kind of. Yeah. Take up space and time. I guess I with drag, you start as a shitty drag queen. So for years, right. you look rotted. And then you figure it out. And then you start figuring out how to look okay, and then you start figuring out how to perform okay. And then you start figuring out, why do people like you? And that's really the direction you should channel, because if nobody likes your dancing and everyone thinks you're funny, just go be funny. That'll be your thing. You know, like, I think, at least for me, it was like, by the time I arrived at being a comedian, I had been doing drag like eight years, so it was like, Oh, I guess these are the same muscles. It's yeah. like when Michael Jordan switched to baseball. <laughs> well, I saw Michael Jordan play <laughs> baseball, and he's like, "Not that." Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's like when but, um, I don't know. Didn't Tanya but Harding he came switch back, to boxing? But he came back. Michael Jordan then came back to basketball. So it's yeah. almost like when Michael Jordan came back to basketball yeah. from baseball. Yeah. Do you um? So when you started doing stand up, like, oh my god, these Tamagotchis, they gotta go. The, I just. I mean, Throw I'm, him in the hall. Throw him in the hall. No, it's fine. Sierra. Get him out of here. Sierra. <laughs> get the sitter. <laughs> I don't know how to turn him off. Give him to, give him to, yeah, you got it. Sierra just says to don't go ever. <laughs> So gay people don't have kids and this is why. <laughs> we have other things going on. Oh, I have so many follow-up questions. So many. But same with music though. Same with anything. It's like you have full-on imposter syndrome until one day you forget that you were a pretender and then you're doing it. You know? Well, you are very good, though, at, like, you and Katya have amazing chemistry. That's part of it. People are just watching you have a friendship. Yeah. And that's captivating. Yeah. Kind of regardless of what else is happening. Like, you just have such good energy mm-hmm. with each other. But then you also have, like, punchy. How did you guys first meet? Is it? We met on Drag Race. We weren't That's even, it. You never knew each other before Drag we Race. We barely spoke on Drag Race. And then it was like we, um... After Drag Race, you know, I we both of us went home fairly somewhat middle, and we talked a lot on the phone, and we got close. And then I had the idea of like, oh, let's do this episode of um, this show called Fashion Photo Review, where we critique the looks of the hosts of that show. And then it was so funny, and people liked it. And then I said, I want to do a show. And World of Wonder said, what do you want it to be about? And I said, uh, we'll make the first episode deciding what it's about. 
and then we just we just ran with it. I mean, Katya says that show is successful because it's like it's it's funny, but you're also watching the development of a friendship because we didn't start close friends. Mm. You know, like seventy episodes in, and then going to the TV show, we like became best friends over the show. So it was like it was a wild thing. And then you know, I had started stand up around like. Because people started to like us from the YouTube series, and then it was like, oh, I could like start doing assembling a full show now because people will come see me because of the YouTube series more than anything. Because I mean, on Drag Race, you see like blips of people, but you don't really learn what they're good at. And it's everything, even as a drag queen, it's like fish out of water. Everyone's well, like, okay, you're a share impersonator. Well, today you're decorating a boat and uh, <laughs> yeah. selling cherry pie gift certificates, and the runway theme is uh, a dead body. Sure. So you're never in your element either. It's like people on – do people on Last uh, Comic Standing or anything like that experience that? I mean I think Last Comic Standing is totally bizarre is – a, is a totally bizarre experience because – well, maybe this is what Drag Race is like too. I don't know. You like, didn't do that show, like, did you? No, I never did. No. But um, stand-up is like – it almost is prohibitive of judging. Like there's like – there's no good way to be able to ju- – like what would you possibly judge people on because it's – It's so so subjective. I mean, like, I guess you could put two queens next to each other and, like, there might be, like, some, like, irrefutable evidence that one of them has better makeup. Like, I guess that's true, although it is also subjective on top of that. But for stand-up, it's like, I think everybody that I know that was on that show, it's just a totally bizarre experience. Because you're being... Totally. You're being judged on... Like, I guess what has been edited together from the stand-up that you really did. <laughs> yeah, and on TV, they also try, I'm sure they try to make your story, and it's like, like, for me, I don't consider myself a, it's like, on one hand, I don't want people to call me, like, a gay comedian. On the other hand, I'm so gay, and I want everything to be gay, and I want to talk about everything in a gay way. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Great. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm like, don't put me in a box, but also, I don't want to talk about any of that. I only want to talk about gay things. Thank you so much. Philadelphia Mayor's Office, Office of LGBT Affairs, head? The head of the Philly Mayor's Office of LGBT Affairs? Oh, God, I'm going to do a better job, I swear, in future of introducing you, Amber. Amber Hikes, loved her on the show this year. Also got a great chance to hang with Amber in person during my live Philly show. So if you were there, you got to see Amber in person. But here she is talking about the origin and importance of the Philly Pride flag. Can you give me a little context on the Philly sure. Pride flag? Because I, I know what it is, but I'm sure there's going to be yeah. listeners who are less familiar yeah. with what I'm talking about. Oh, I would love to. I would love to talk about it. So a little bit of context of where it came from. Um, again, for local context, uh, for over the last 30 years, activists in Philadelphia um, have been talking about concerns that we've seen around racism and discrimination in our community. So that can be, and I'll talk about some of these things and and people may be listening saying, well, we've seen some of that where we are. That would be um, discriminatory practices in our our bars. So for instance, uh, black and brown people being asked to give three or four different types of ID when white folks could just walk in and out of the space. Um, A lack of representation in our organizations or on our boards, right? So knowing that that upper level management is all white and cis and male, but that's not what the community looks like. Um, And uh, discriminatory dress code practices when it comes to businesses and things that target specifically minority communities. Um, But really the smoking gun that was here in Philadelphia was um, uh, almost two years ago now, uh, a bar owner was caught on tape, a, a 
a gay bar owner was caught on tape saying the N-word over and over again. And this really just drove home the concerns and really the outrage that people of color had about the treatment they'd experienced within the LGBTQ community. And there were boycotts, there were protests, um, there were calls for resignations and changes in leadership. And um, there were there, there was legislation that was proposed, um, hearings that happened. And when I came on, it was clear to me that we were going to have to address this issue um, from a substantive place and from a symbolic place. And some of the substantive things I already talked about in terms of um, policy and community conversations and hearings. But the symbolic thing was that we wanted to create a symbol that people could resonate with, they could connect with. And it was a symbol that said that we stand in solidarity with LGBTQ people of color who have been uh, discriminated against within their own community, who have been silenced, who have been erased. And we see you, we love you, we are you. And you're not just a part of us, you are us. And so we added two stripes to the rainbow flag, one black, one brown. And it was just this symbol that Philadelphia is going to step up and start talking about these issues and stop acting like they don't exist. Uh, and so we raised the pride flag on Thursday at City Hall in Philadelphia, the largest municipal building in the country. And we raised it on Friday and CNN picked it up by Friday. Now we raised on Thursday and CNN picked it up on Friday morning. Um, and in Philadelphia, people were rejoicing. They understood what the context was. But honey, when it hit national... <laughs> Whoa. I have so much. I, first of all, I'm going to put my arm close to the camera. Can you see that I have goosebumps with you talking about? <laughs> you do like, have I have like real life goosebumps because. <laughs> you do have real life goosebumps. I just, I, um, I want to take a moment and just thank you really for um, the work that you did in, in introducing. Wow. Look, it's not like I, a salute. It's not like, I don't even know what the word solution, but just like. Yeah. A top, uh, uh, a symbol, like a, a, a thing that, that we could, that you can agree with. Like to me, a thing yeah. that you can agree with is really important in, on it this, is. on this thing. Just something that you can say like, yes, yes, that's yeah. right. You know? And I, I remember it's seeing like, the photos of you. I remember seeing the photos yeah. of the flag being hoisted. Um, yeah. so thank you. Really. It, I, it, I, I want to tell you like the significance of you saying that, um, I, um, so I talk about the flag a good bit, um, but I don't talk a ton about my personal experience during that time. Because I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you, the response to the flag was largely and overwhelmingly positive. People were so grateful. And this people of all races and backgrounds. And we had people of color coming out of the woodwork saying, "You know, I never, I never." quite knew why the why why the rainbow flag didn't completely resonate with me but once i saw this symbol i cried right or or this made sense to me or why did it you know why did it take so long how could something so simple take so long we heard that um but at the same time i received death threats cameron i received death threats from my own community right and i know it was my own community because they started with as a white gay man you know, uh, I don't I don't want to repeat the things that were said, but um, as painful as it was. Right. It was so painful. As painful as it was, it it proved the point. Right. Folks, um, they tried to gaslight 
people of color in the community that have been saying for, for a very long time that these issues exist. They gaslit us and said, you know, there was no racism in the LGBT community. How how could gay people discriminate? Um, how could gay people be racist? Well, the same way that people of color can be homophobic and transphobic. You yeah. understand that, Stan? You understand that, yeah. <laughs> Chad? Um, how the hell can't you understand this? Um, so it, it so I whenever a white person I'll say would be to be frank with you whenever a white person says thank you so much like I appreciate this symbol you know it means it means a lot obviously it means more when people of color say it that's right <laughs> no shame. but it means but it means a lot when white people recognize that as well uh, so I so I appreciate that yeah I mean I think that sounds exactly right a hundred percent prioritize like the folks that <laughs> really needed to be seen and um, yeah. I'm just saying that because you know it is really important to witness the truth and uh everything that you're saying is tr- is true i have seen it with my own eyes i'm glad that you mentioned boys town i'm from chicago originally right and right, right, right. um you know i i lived there during the time when in boys town they were fundraising a bunch of money to build this this beautiful new community center that was going to have like a Whole Foods in it. So mm-hmm, I think because mm-hmm. it was going to have a Whole Foods in it, I mean, it does, it does currently have a Whole Foods in it. I think um, the folks in Boys Town, which are predominantly like the people who moved there 30 years ago and then bought condos. So it's a lot of like white cisgendered gay men who are older than you and I. Um, of course. And... I think that they thought, like, we're putting our money into this thing that's going to provide us with services. Like, that's we're right. going to get to go to the Whole Foods, and that's then we're right. going to get to whatever. Uh, we're going to get right. to, like, go to our cocktail parties. Like, I've been to cocktail parties, right? right? There's a beautiful, like, <laughs> rooftop deck, and there's, like, a theater in there and stuff. Oh, I know it. I know the scene. You I know the, the one? Scene. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I think then, I mean um, – <laughs> It's yeah. it's it's startling to realize that there was a there was a, an element of surprise when the center also offered the center and health center like also offered um, mental health services access yeah. to like HIV prevention and education um, right. a way to connect to stable housing like those sorts of services and that the folks that needed those types of services were predominantly black, young, right. and and oftentimes also trans. And oftentimes right. there was also like a crossover with um, folks who did sex work. So I think right. for the, you know, these dudes who lived in these condos and, yeah. and had, and, and thought one thing about what their, their, this center would be, you know, suddenly it's like, no, you, you said this is for services. Like you said, right. this is for services for our community. So you're, so you seem stable and you That's maybe right. don't need these services. So these are right. the people who need these services. Right. And we're you gonna know, reach out to the folks that need the services. Yes. And that's that's this for. And that's this community. I mean, I remember there, you know, there were hearings and um there was a lot of conversation about it. There was stuff in the newspaper. And I mean I in in my mind it's still something that is unresolved. I no longer live there. I didn't I didn't live there um I didn't have like power yet and I and I made a mistake. I mean, I can own that because I, you know, I should have been like going to those meetings and saying, you know, right. as a young white person, I you're you're all full of shit. Um but I but I didn't. And yeah. now, you know, I I talk about it openly and I also wish that there was a way. It's not a community that I know anymore. Like I'm not that's not my city and I haven't lived there for a bunch of years, but 
Um, it is something I still hold on as like a mental goal of like, God, what could I do to just like reinvest there and say like, I see that this is true. You know, I just, um, because I still think it's a point of huge tension that has like maybe never been resolved. Actor Alia Shawkat joined me to talk about being herself on camera and feeling sexy in her own style. But I, I kind of asked some of this because, like, I feel like whether or not you realize it, and I'm sure you do realize it, I think you're also just kind of you being on screen is a rad thing because you do look like yourself and what you have right. going on, freckles, like curly hair, that's just sadly, that like, not that common. Um, yeah. Well, that's the thing that's... Like like any kind of art, I think, where people um, that inspire me or inspire other people is the minute you're like, I just started doing my own thing and it started to work out a lot better. It's like for any artist, it's like the minute you start really being more specific to who you are, the minute people will actually start responding to it, um, even if they don't like it before because they don't know about it. So my hair always used to be straightened. and People would always cover up my freckles and stuff. And I was like, uh, you know. I just want to do this, whatever. Like, I'm going to get through it. Like, I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily, like, love the way I looked. I wouldn't hate it, but I'd be like, oh, it's not really me, you know. But then, you know, that moment when you get, like, a good haircut and you go, oh, I found it. I, I found do my know thing. that moment. Yes. I do know the yeah, moment. Yeah, because you discovered your haircut. Yeah. That's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge moment. I remember that when I cut my hair short and let it just be, like, froey curly. And I was like, I'm never gonna get another this is it i found it like i don't have to do anything with my hair i just like wash it and it gets curly curly. it's great on you it's perfect and like i used to straighten my hair so much when i was younger because it'd be at weird lengths and depending on how it dried it was always like a thing and it's more of like yeah just all of a sudden was like in the pocket i was like okay this feels the most like me and you know as you get older you just start to like own your style more and then you go out for jobs and stuff and you're like oh that's what it's not no but it's a part of what i got hired to do certain things because it's like I had my own specific look. But it's still uh, not like the most accepted. You know what I mean? Because sure. like you like in like so many things, you see certain actresses cast in big budget movies and they all look the same really. So everyone's like, we're all about change and like we want, you know, new beauties and stuff. And like, you know, Vogue is like trying to, you know, put different models who have freckles or like curly hair or who are different races on the covers. And you're like, yeah, it is starting to. But then I find like the, the movie industry to be almost like the last to change for some reason. Cause they're like, but the lead of Star Wars has still got to be a white girl with brown straight hair. <laughs> and you're like, okay, <laughs> really? Yeah. Does it? And they're like, yeah, like all of space. And they all are, are like British. There are no women. freckles in space. There's no freckles in space. Why would that? Be? Yeah. There's stars up there, so <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't put also no. freckles on a Angels face. Like that wouldn't there. be. Yeah. That wouldn't make sense. <laughs> um, that I mean, but, but all that I think is like, yeah, like just being def- default, uh, like an indie film actor because you right. have curly hair yeah. is obviously fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I also think. There's a bit of what you're doing that's, like, also gender presentation, right? Like, mm-hmm. just having, like, some amount of uh, shorter hair that's – and, right. like, less makeup is also – I don't know. What would you say? Like, on the tomboy spectrum? I don't know that you're really a tomboy. I guess so. I don't know. I don't know the, you know, 
as we learned earlier, the lingo was very <laughs> well. Um, yeah, I, you know, my mom was, was always like, you just always had a, a masculine energy. And I was like, is that what it is? Like, Is I that what like you think? To, what do you think? Well, no, I don't like it being specified in relationship to a man or to like a male thing. Well, we don't have better words, That's the thing, right. But, I mean, I guess, yeah, I never, it's not that I'm like, I hate wearing dresses. I'm like, I just have a specific style that I like um, that's kind of androgynous-ish. But then also sometimes I like to really dress up, you know, and, and dress like old movie star kind of like fitted dresses. So I kind of have like both sides. I like when I'm in like my normal everyday though, I my goal is to look like a 13-year-old boy. Sure. That's and, my and where I feel the most feels better to you than masculine. I think I I, under, I understand the masculine energy. Yeah. I think I have that, but not um Yeah, I don't even know if it's androgynous. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's these are all these are all just like questions because we're discovering it. Yeah, yeah, these are all just questions because there is no answer. So, right. I'm just trying to like <laughs> Oh, I thought you were leading me into an answer. No, like, I'm trying what? to This is what you are. Let <laughs> me tell you what you are. No, this is I feel like a lot of just like being a queer person is trying to figure out how to talk about what you are. Right. <laughs> or like what you're trying to do or well, whatever. I was wearing like a choker the other day and someone was like, so are you goth? Are you 90s goth? Are you? And I was like, today I wear a choker, tomorrow I don't. You know, I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I I have been, I so I like had, I used to have one long piece of hair and then now I have just short hair all over. And <laughs> One strand? I used to, I literally, it was so small. Like a little rest hair? Kind of, but it was on the side. Mm. I'll show you a photograph. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> Hard to imagine. <laughs> no, it's it was like a I like had a haircut that was like very much. Well, eighty Bryant has worn it like as a wig, basically on really? SNL. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had a haircut that had like one long piece here, and then since I cut it all off, uh, I am being read a lot more as like Butch, which is really interesting mm. to me because that was never something that people um, clocked me as. Right. And I don't know that I don't think I'm Butch, but I kind of think I'm uh, uh, like a dandy. Like yeah. I think of myself <laughs> as like an effeminate man, not right, right, like right. a masculine woman. Right. Totally. And But that's that has – so anyway, in your own mind, I go out versions. in the world, I'm like – my my my, yeah. my closest comparison is Prince, and people yeah. are like, "No, you're just like a dyke." You know, like it's just <laughs> so it's very confusing to try to figure out like what other people are seeing, what you think of totally. in your own body. Well, I find it like you're saying always surprising. Mm, yes, I'm like, absolutely. Really? What? That's so funny. I never thought I'd dress that way or whatever. Yeah, yeah like, whatever. Because I'm just like, this feels comfortable today. I know. Like that's how I look at it. But then, like, like I remember, um, like being out and or like talking to my mom and and talking about like the way I dress because like I love my mom but we have discrepancies on how I should present myself sure um and she was like why don't you dress up you know you have such a beautiful figure like why don't you show it off and I was like I think I am showing it off I was like I feel like I look sexy and I was probably wearing you know something like this like t-shirts and then like cap and like baggy pants but i was like i think that's hot like i never am dressing to be like oh, i don't want to show myself today i'm like it's that's been a while since i've been in that mode you know what i mean i'm an adult i only wear what i want 
Like, I'm always like, oh, yeah, well, I want to wear this. And even when I go out, and she's always like, and she's become more accepting of it. But when I was like first starting to discover my style, if it wasn't like super femme, she thought it was like I was trying to hide something. And I was like, actually, I've never felt sexier. I've never felt more in my body. But that makes perfect sense, right? Because like sexiness is like what you're exuding into the world. And so like if it is – I was just out with somebody last night and I was sitting next to my friend who wears like low-cut shirts and she was talking about her boobs Mm. and just (laughs) like – and I was like – and how like – stressful it is to run or something it was like something like right. that and i was like yeah no i know man and like same or whatever and then she was like well but like we have different size boobs and i was like and i you know like just like clocked and was like i don't think so i think right. you just can't see my boobs and she was like no no you have like no do you have boobs like you don't like bind and i was like I'm sorry no, just, look no you should you de- definitely yeah. have boobs i have huge boobs yeah i asked her i was like what is your size and she was like whatever i can't remember what she said but were 36 you bigger? C, and I was like, yeah, no, I have like bigger boobs than you. <laughs> and, I, and she was like, where are they? And I was like, I'm wearing a motorcycle jacket, a button down shirt. Yeah. And I hold my body in a way because like <laughs> I like my body, but also I'm like doing a very certain thing. No, but it's about the way like you want lead. it to fit. Yeah, exactly. Like, sometimes I wear sports bras a lot with certain shirts, button up shirts. Sure. Because I'm like, this looks better in the frame if they have a flatter chest in this one because i have big tits too and then other times i'm like no i, I gotta get the bustier up for this one you know what i mean <laughs> like it depends on the i the mean mode i totally wear like what is essentially like a push-up bra but then with like a baggy shirt that that i get right. like tailored to fit me in just certain a certain way yeah, so, so that it, it like, comes over but then it like still like sort flattering. of it's like flattering but it doesn't show anything and then like yeah. a, a like a motorcycle jacket with buttons to distract you but like <laughs> like i'm not anyway um but yes you know in another thing that i just noticed in uh in duck butter was also that like your character wears uh what would it like a like a it's like a the bra? i guess is it like a long was that like a long sports bra or like there's like a tank top situation happening where there's like maybe like a like there's maybe not a bra on underneath there Oh, I don't know. Anyway, it just seemed like... It was like, mainly a sports bra I was wearing most of the time. Under a shirt. Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, again, yeah. when you think about, like, things you're used to seeing on camera versus yeah, yeah. things that you're not used to seeing on camera, like, there's mm-hmm. a... Like, your character's, like, taking her shirt off, and there's a sports bra under there. Right. Which, by the way, like, it turns out are worn <laughs> yeah, exactly. by people. Yeah. <laughs> there's not some, like, crazy, like... They sell like, so many of them. <laughs> yeah. and some, like, lace-up number. Yeah. Right. And that I thought that was very cool. And yeah. I also thought that, like... And it, you know, when it, when you see, when one sees something on screen, it's like easy to realize what you haven't seen sometimes once you right. see it. Once like, see I don't it. think I was ever just like, not enough sports bras yeah, exactly. in Hollywood. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> I like saying I'm big. <laughs> but style is such an interesting thing because like, again, it is sometimes feels like it's a, it's a gender thing, but really it's about the specific nature of the person because like. Even if I – I've had moments like shamefully-ish when I was like younger where I would think I had to dress a certain way if I was trying to attract a guy, you know, and be like, oh, I have to like look at those girls. But I always like – I always liked buttoning shirts up to the top. It was, But it was about style and what I felt comfortable in. I was like, this just looks cooler. I always liked bright colors. 
and elaborate patterns and like weird vintage numbers and like funny hats. Like I always had like this kind of, I like to say I like to dress a little bit like a clown. It's like my kind of aesthetic, <laughs> fashionable <laughs> clown. But, um, you know, and then as I got older and gained more confidence and realized, I was like, oh, just the more I am myself, obviously, is when you attract people. But it's still those kind of like I've had, depending on the way I dress, people react very differently to you. You know, it's Absolutely. like who you call. And I I was on the – I did a Pee Wee Herman movie, which was really cool. But um, I play this like – they literally gave us hip pads and boob pads because we were like based off of – now I'm forgetting. Um, Pussycat Bang Bang. Um, it's this like B movie. But yeah. we're based off of these characters. So we literally look like cartoon characters, you know. And I'm wearing a fuzzy like short little sweater. And my boobs are already big and they had them bigger and pointy. And then I have like hips and heels and tight, tight, tight and so much makeup. It was the most makeup I've done any job. I had to sit there for an hour while they like put on these eyelashes. And I was like going crazy because I hate – that's another thing about makeup. I hate sitting in the makeup chair. I hate it. I was like as fast as possible, please, because I hate sitting there being like – <laughs> like all I want to do is like touch like my it. face. I kind of like it. I know. I just can't. I or get so impatient for something. Yeah. Like no, hair I, salons, I hate I'm sitting. like, ooh, do do it. But they have to <laughs> lie to me about I swear to God, my the person that usually does my makeup, um I'm not even kidding. I won't let her use the word lipstick because it makes me feel emasculated. Really? <laughs> so she has to use men's lip tint. Men's <laughs> lip tint. <laughs> Which is what she came and up with. And what tint do you use? She, like, just like, like basically like, like a nude. nude. Yeah, yeah. But she's just like, okay, so are you ready for your like men's lip tint? And I'm like, thank you for respecting me. <laughs> yes. I want it. <laughs> oh, but you were saying, well, how were so you treated on that set? When I walked around, you know, not to bash the set, like the director's fucking great. It was rad, but it's a huge set and there's so many crew members I didn't know. And I remember walking to set one day and I was like kind of like stretching. And I was literally just, like, putting my arms up, kind of, like, not even aware, just being like, oh, because it was a fucking uncomfortable as fuck outfit, you know? And these guys made, like, a noise, like, oh, hey, the, you know, like, crew members. And I was like, excuse me? What? I was like, I'm working on this set. Yeah, I was so upset wow. by it. I was so upset. I was like, this is ridiculous. But then I looked in the mirror, and I was like, I look like a fucking walking sex doll. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm, like, walking, like, eh, 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 like, to set, you know? And I was just like, ah, oh, fuck, like. Those are fun in a way because it's, like, fantastical and I got to be a cartoon character, you know. Um, and, like, it was so epic to be in that movie. But I also am, like, I'd much rather play characters where I'm like, can I get some chapstick? <laughs> That's it. Shoe designer Nick Casey talked about always being stopped and questioned no matter which bathroom they use. Because you said um, that you felt as a kid that you were born in the wrong body. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you are, how do we identify? Trans identify, dude? Uh, trans masculine, but yeah. non-binary. Trans masculine, non-binary. Yeah. Got it. And I use um, the pronouns they, them. Thank you for telling me mm -hmm. that. And I also feel like, so I want to like ask some more questions about that because sure. that's not what every, like that sentence doesn't apply to everybody, right. even that identifies as trans masculine or non-binary. Like that's not necessarily a sentence that works for everybody. So right. how did that feel for you? Like you saying you felt like you were born in the wrong body. Like what did, what was that feeling like? I think if I had transitioned maybe earlier on, um, I probably would have felt very natural or comfortable being a trans man mm -hmm. uh, because that's how I felt for most of my life. But then when you're kind of, when you don't have the resources or like the understanding, then you kind of get forced into living this other lifestyle of like, okay, well, 
I'm, you're born with what you have and you have to kind of deal with it. And so that's what I did for many years. And then when I came out as gay or lesbian, uh, then I struggled for many years to fit into the lesbian community. And so when I finally transitioned and was able to get all the surgeries and everything, uh, all my friends were incredibly supportive and was like, oh, do we start using he now? And I was like, okay, you know, because I thought that's what finally I get to, right? But then after a month of it, I realized, wait a second, like I have spent the last 30 years of my life trying to fit into being a lesbian or embracing the feminine side of who I am. And I didn't want to overnight lose that because I felt like I earned it, you know? Yeah. Like I worked so hard and I finally <laughs> fit in. And now I'm, like, losing this part of me. Even though I appreciate everyone's support, I was like, maybe the person I've evolved into is actually very non-binary because I've been able to embrace all of the different sides of me. And I do believe that all of us have both masculine and feminine sides, but in terms of, like, you know, there's sexuality, there's identity, there's sexual orientation. I mean, there's so many different layers, you know, of who we are. Um, that I think I realized that I'd never want to be, like, male, I guess, because I started to see the privileges it came with, and I didn't like it. Um, I didn't feel like I should be treated different just because now I can, you know, pass, you know? Like, so, and it's interesting. I mean, I still never can go to the bathroom without a struggle because I don't, I still don't fit in. And maybe part of that struggle is kind of like, that's okay. Like I maybe I need to struggle so that I have an opportunity to educate people every time I walk into a bathroom and I'm told I'm in the wrong bathroom, you know. So Does that happen to this day, day regardless yeah. of where you go? Yeah. Always. Always. Yeah. And um if you're forced to make a choice, what do you choose? Like I mean, assuming that it's the a bathroom? Yeah, like you the go clean one? <laughs> No, I know. I just mean like you go into a place there's a there's a men's room and a women's right. room. Like, what? Do you, which one do you choose usually? I think it depends on the place because some places... Oh, that's such a good answer. Yeah. yeah. Like, some places I feel safer going to the women's room. Yeah. And some, I, you know, feel like, oh, I can use the men's room here, you know? Yeah. And mostly maybe I'm just an opportunist. Like, which one has the shorter line? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of is uh, sure. what I end up with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, there's a potential future where... That's a better gender-free bathrooms. <laughs> it almost like makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Even the ones where I'm sure you've seen that because they have a lot of these in LA where there's like a central sink mm-hmm. and then there's like yes a bunch of different options. Like yeah. that seems like a way to because right. then because when you talk about um, like single like uh, single occupancy, mm-hmm. I think makes a lot of sense to people in terms of like how do you make that gender-free? Like right. it's just like well, it's just one person in there. But then when you start talking about like multiple bathrooms then people I think right. start to their brain starts to smoke you know right. that they're like yeah, yeah. how would this even look but I mean there are literally already bathrooms that look like that yeah. that have like a central sink and right. then like separate stalls right. and that sol- it solves right. everything already like totally. everything's already solved yeah. and, it, and it already does exist so that's right. one option right. um, that we could lean towards that would like take this pressure right. off and that like really yeah. takes up the same amount of real estate like isn't right. there's no but I still don't understand like what's the difference between having one central sink area with stalls versus walking into a bathroom with multiple sink areas and multiple stalls. <laughs> like, oh, I guess I just yeah. mean versus like, like I think everybody thinks 
literally because we think about there being two. Mm-hmm. That's all I mean. Oh, I like see. that we already have so a they, model for right. what it looks like when there's only one. Right, right, right. That's what I mean. Not yeah, that yeah. like, not that it needs to look different, but just yeah. that like there are already bathrooms that are high occupancy that yeah. there isn't like a two doors with right, different right. No, I understand outfits. what you're saying. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't understand those people who think <laughs> that it's different. I don't know. <laughs> like it's the same, except now you have two of them. I don't know. I mean, I don't know yeah. because I, obviously, you know, I'm. You and I both know that regardless of what bathroom you go into now, you're nobody's like checking the genitals or right ident- or identity yeah. of the people around them. Like right. literally, like th- this is already something that isn't. It's patrolled in the way that you might feel patrolled, right. but the person that's in the bathroom is already surrounded by people that they can't control. Right. Like it's like nobody, you know, right. like right, yeah, nobody's like sticking their head under the <laughs> right. thing and being like, "Show it, <laughs> right. show me," you know, like so. I don't know. Sometimes there's a big gap, a big um, gap between like what we think is happening mm-hmm. and what's already happening. J- just like when. You know, like we were fighting for marriage equality and people were talking about like protecting kids and, and you would be like, there are qu- queer kids. Right. There, there are kids already that have same sex parents. Like I just right. like what yeah. this is an un- these this is the only kids that would be more protected would be those that are vulnerable because they're right. queer or right. whatever. Right. Yeah. Same thing. Um, I don't know. I don't have the answers to that. Who are I don't know. I think maybe it's just like it's also fear. It's totally you don't know somebody yeah. like you. You don't know somebody like me. Right. And you it's imagine this person, fear, right? yeah. and it, this person is really scary. And then you and I just have like sunglasses, and we're kind of nice and everything. So yeah. I don't. I don't know. There's yeah. there's also that big gap. Yeah. I mean, for every gender free bathroom or every event that I've ever been to that had gender free bathrooms, there's never been a problem. So I don't know why. Oh yeah, of course. Such fear. Well, yeah. just like there's actually never been an instance of a transgender person um, harming anyone right. in a bathroom, literally right. ever. Right. Literally yeah. has never happened. Right. There's no reported incident. Right. Uh, a trans person being harmed oh. in a bathroom? Right. Constantly. Constantly. Yeah. And, you know, from any anything from like a bad look to literally death. Right. Um, yeah. And that's what's on the one side. And then the right. other side is... No, no incidents right. ever. So I just mean, yeah. <laughs> but but sometimes the truth and the reality isn't doesn't match yeah. up with the fear, yeah. right? Unfortunately, yeah. I'm sorry that that's your experience every day. That sounds yeah. taxing. It is. I mean, uh, my favorite, or I don't know that it's not favorite in the good sense, but <laughs> it is favorite because it's so like unbelievable to me. It's like I was at Heathrow, and like. Going, walking from the airport in London. Yeah, in uh, my, whatever my gate was to the bathroom, and literally, I heard someone yelling, like, you know, sir, 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 and and I didn't realize they were talking to me, but this lady was literally chasing me down the the hall <laughs> as I'm walking into the women's bathroom because I was like, I'm at an airport, I'm gonna go to the women's room just to be safe, right? And um, so she chases me into the bathroom, and I still don't realize she's chasing me. Right? I just thought something's happening. And I finally, I'm in the stall peeing, and then all of a sudden, she's like at my door. It's like, "Sir, you're in the wrong bathroom." And I was like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> like, and then I had to like change my voice just a little bit higher to make it more girly, I guess, because I all of a sudden felt so attacked, and it was so embarrassing realizing like this entire time she's been yelling at me <laughs> in public, you know? Yeah. Through all of this, you know, time, and um, and then when she realized, because I was like, you know. 
I know which bathroom I'm in. And I was like, do you want to check? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then she all of a sudden like got all silent and was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I was like, you don't need to be sorry. You just need to be more mindful. Like you didn't need to like yell at me all the way down. Like maybe you could have approached it a little bit less, you know, aggressive, you know? Yes. Um, and then she disappeared, like did not wait for me to come out to f- even right. face me. Like, so I didn't have a time, like chance to educate her, I guess. But most of the time I try to take the time to, like, I never get offensive or angry. I always try to take a pause, take a breath and realize like maybe they're just ignorant, you know, and like, this is a learning opportunity so I can educate them. Yeah. Because next time I'm hoping she's not going to do that again to somebody else. Right. Yeah. I love this part of my conversation with Trayvon Free, an actor and stand-up comic, and no, not an actor, a writer and stand-up comic, who talked about how everyone should be able to express how they feel, including men. I love when I see queer people who like are like outwardly trying to like let you know, like yeah. this is like I when I see them walking, I'm like, I love you, like go, like I'm so happy for you, like, but I couldn't. If I tried to do that, it would be me faking it because it's just exactly. not. Exactly. Nobody not, needs to be doing that. Yeah. Nobody needs to be doing that. Yeah. Nobody needs to be putting on something that yeah. isn't them. It's like I, w- like I wish I could pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's just not who I am as a person. Like this is who I am. And I'm so glad that you get to be who you are and you get to like dress that way and look beautiful and sexy and all those things. But it's like I can't put that on and – like still feel like me that's just not who I am but like I should get to be me and be a part of the community and you should get to be you yep. and be a part of the community and uh, and so it's like who cares what you outwardly identify as or outwardly look like you shouldn't just fucking ju- you shouldn't judge people you should let people be who they are and wouldn't the dream be like if this conversation and that mentality could eventually like move into straight culture yeah, so like, that like straight people weren't so constantly fucking stressed out yeah, because I feel like, like that would reduce violence enormously absolutely like you should be able to dress that way and still be straight and yeah, it not matter like, wouldn't not, that be fucking yeah, mind blowing like, if you just want to fucking dress in like like David Bowie and not have people question your sexuality yeah. like fucking do cool. it because Bowie was fucking awesome <laughs> like just like do what you want like I think there was a um I don't know where I saw it, but something about how um, men, like these straight men who cross-dress at these like big event, like parties or something, how it was like considered okay in this particular space because it was a way for them to let out this part of them that wanted to be this level of free, but they could only allow themselves to do it in this space, in this time, in this context, and not in their everyday lives. And that's sad <laughs> that you don't feel that level of freedom in your everyday life to just, like, be whoever the fuck you want to be and it not mean a thing. Yeah. It just, you, like, you can be who you are. And you can be the most, like, manliest man. And, like, if you want to wear fucking tight jeans or a dress or whatever, like, fucking do it. And it changed nothing about you. I think what we're advocating for is actually 
straight pride parades. <laughs> you know, how people are like, where's my straight pride parade? And then we're like, well, it's every day. But then it's also not. Like, right. People are so fucking stressed out and nervous all the time. I nah, think, all yeah. of us, all of us having constant parades right. of constant pride. <laughs> I do. I think that's a big part of it where it's like they don't have – you see people being free and you don't feel like you have the permission to do it and you feel – confined to your your straight masculine identity or your, whatever society's told you you're supposed to be and you're looking at these people go look I get to do and be whatever the fuck I want and I think we all crave that freedom and I think we all deserve that freedom and I think it's up to us by having the conversation to to allow especially men of all colors to like just free yourself from this societal version of what you think a man is supposed to be like it's so archaic this idea of like a man is supposed to do this and be a provider and be strong and never cry and like like fuck that like I can't even tell you any time in my life I've heard a man say I feel sad or like that hurt me I, 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 I legitimately can't and that's sad that, that like, makes me feel sad. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, like the fact that like you can't even talk about um, how you feel to anyone. And I think that has to die. Like the idea of of what you've been told a man is supposed to be has to die. And I think not only does it free men, but it like it frees women to not no longer be victims of this fucking crazy awful toxic identity that men wake up every morning and put on and got into the world thinking this is who I have to be and it's really hard to to let it go but I mean I think when you experience what freedom feels like <laughs> you'll you'll wish you'd done it a lot sooner okay well that was beautiful you did an amazing job of articulating <laughs> like a life <laughs> lifelong mission statement and you're thank a delight you. and I'm just like so glad I had a chance to talk oh, to you thank you I'm so happy I got to do this here's Trevor Project CEO Amit Paley talking about discovering the students erased in Harvard's 1920s archive so what actually was happening when I was in college um, so I worked for for my college newspaper and the probably the biggest story that I did um I, you know, I'm a nerdy, wonky person who likes to hang out in archives. And I was in the Harvard archives and I discovered this, there was just an entry in this database that said secret court 1920. And I was like, well, that's very interesting. What is, what, what's the secret court 1920? And I looked into it more and it took a huge battle with the administration to get the records. But it turned out that in 1920, um, there was a group of gay students at Harvard that the administration found out about expelled almost all of them from Harvard. Um, several of them actually killed themselves um, as a result uh, after after what happened. And then the university was so ashamed of what happened, they literally crossed them out of the register of the university, took all these files, locked them in a cabinet, and it was all a secret for 80 years until I uncovered this thing. So there was, I worked on this for a year. It was this huge story that I worked on. Um, and when it came, I was not out when I worked on it completely in the closet when I worked on it. Um, and I remember in the midst of that time, even before same-sex marriage was legalized in Massachusetts, 
the Lawrence v. Texas decision by the Supreme Court was um, was that two thousand that was two thousand three. So I I just remember being in my dorm room reading that decision by Justice Kennedy and crying. I just remember crying because the language that he used that you can actually be that that gay people that LGBTQ people deserve dignity. I don't know what it was about just the the institution, the justice saying that it had this really profound impact on me. And then when Massachusetts and the Supreme Judicial Court legalized Massachusetts, I think it changed something in me that I thought all these years since I was in middle school, I thought I will never be successful. I will never be able to be a proud person. No one will love me. I won't be able to get a job or do what I want to do. That sort of melted away a little bit. And I thought I can be a successful person and be open about who I am. And that's what prompted me to come out. You know, when I was at BC, and Boston College is a Catholic college, and at the time, sexual orientation was not included in the non-discrimination policy. So you could be kicked out of school for being gay um, while I was in school there. And also, and I have to tell you this because you were in Boston at the same time, um, the biggest story in the city um, during our undergrad um, was about the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal. And so like that would be the front page of the Boston Globe while I was at a school that was saying like that essentially I was, you know, giving me messaging that like I was a disgusting pervert or that I was, you know, something to be ashamed or that I was um, – that I should hide myself. And um, to me living through that moment, you know, of, of finding out like the truth about what my church was. I mean literally that was the Archdiocese of Boston, which is technically like the boss of, of the school that I went to. And also the school that I went to um, bought land from the Archdiocese while like in 2004 – um, that that money went directly went to bailing out the 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 um, the lawsuits from that like from all of those people that came forward and talked about their experience. There's there's literally like land where where currently um, there are buildings built that that happened while I was an undergrad. A hundred million dollars. And it, by the way, this is like not. Uh, secret. This is like an open thing that happened. So I feel a little bit of what you're talking about with the that Harvard 1920 um, revelation. For me, it felt like it was, and it was, it was unfolding around me in real time, um, this sort of banishment of who I was. And then what I saw this same organization was like willing to put up with and, and hide and support. And so you know, when we talk about marriage equality now, I feel like so often we talk about how maybe it wasn't the right battle because, you know, is is marriage like our most pressing issue when we also have to just like when so many people are housing unstable or so many people need um, access to life-saving medical care. And I absolutely think there isn't one issue. Of course, like we're, we're a community that is made up of individuals and so we have a bunch of individual needs and I, I'm here to stand you know, with my family and to fight for everybody. And at the same time, living through that moment of marriage equality happening and in the state where it, where it happened for the first time, I completely relate to what you're talking about that, I mean, <laughs> do, does it matter what the government thinks of you? I suppose we can, we can say that it doesn't. 
Um, but I, I felt tot- I felt completely different. Like, like from the day before the decision to the day after the decision, I felt completely different. I felt completely, um, yeah, I felt like a different person with a different value and different protections. And, you know, like nothing was fixed, but the thing that you're talking about of like just having any, any possible future that I felt that too. I felt like it was a real night and day moment. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we hear that from so many people. I mean, regardless what you think about policy and what the government should do when the, when people in positions of power say things, it, it has an impact. It has an, and I mean, it really, it, it sounds so silly, but words really do matter. And, um, you know, we see that at, at the Trevor Project, we see that so clearly. I, I don't think I fully appreciated that until I was in this job and saw, because we see in our numbers, we see when something will happen, when the president of the United States says trans people don't deserve to be in the military, you might be a trans person who doesn't ever want to be in the military. But when you hear a person say that, it impacts how you think about yourself. And so when the president tweeted that, we saw a huge spike in LG in, in trans and gender nonconforming people reaching out to the Trevor Project. The day after the presidential election in 2016, we saw our call volume more than double in a 24-hour period of time. Because, I mean, the policies clearly matter. They have real impact. But I, I just, I wish more people would give consideration to the fact that the messages and the rhetoric and the words that they send have such a huge impact and your words can be filled with disrespect and judgment and hate or your words can be filled with love and hope and respect and that's that's sort of what we try to do all the time i'm so glad that you brought all of that up because yeah absolutely i mean the thing about it is that um I mean, and you would have like the research to back this up or whatever, but but just anecdotally, I will say, I mean, words words are violence because words beget violence, right? Like there's a reason that um, gay slurs can hurt so much and it's because we know that they also exist in the context of gay bashing. You know, like it's like it's not – it maybe wouldn't hurt so much to be called a word from a car that's driving past if it doesn't also make you think of – Every person that's been called that word as everything happened to them, you know, as they were kicked out of their home or as they were kicked out of their family or as they were kicked out of their faith or as they were physically attacked and brutalized. You know, so I just think it, you're exactly right that um, obvi- like the, the research proves it out and your numbers prove it out. But we know anecdotally that like when, when, words, <laughs> when words are slung at us because we're part of a marginalized community, like it calls up all the violence and, and all of the – things that have been done to us. So yes, it doesn't necessarily matter if you want to enter the military, you know, and also like what an additional fuck you to all the trans folks who have served already. Um, and all the queer folks that have served already, but, um, and, and, and are serving and are serving um, now proudly and putting their lives on the line to protect us. I know. I think about that every time it's, uh, you know, veterans day or anything like that. Um, I always think about the folks who never had a chance to come out and who already like, They've already, they've already, they've already done it. They already gave their this, this. So it's like the debate is, um, it's moot, right? Because it's like, well, you, good luck uh, parsing that out of our history. And finally, my hairstylist Pony 
Pony Lee talking about the different ways they express themselves and that they tried to express themselves using style, piercings, and membership and involvement with various scenes. Um, I kind of latched on to kind of the new wave goth and punk scene. And um, that seemed more interesting to me. But I also didn't see myself as, a, you know, a, I didn't see myself on TV either. So um, you try to, you know, just kind of claw your way through existing a bit. Um, and then, you know, I came out really, really young. So I was pushing against forces my whole life. How old were you? Um, when I knew that I was different from, sure. from the beginning, like probably as soon as I was in school. And then when you were telling people, how old were you then? Um, I was 11. I was 11, and um, I, I didn't feel very comfortable in my body and my skin. You know, I was a cutter. I was, I was, um, I got wrapped up into drugs. And, um, you know, there's really no one you could talk to about any of it. And, um, and then you try and find people that you think have some understanding. Um, but yeah, like, uh, uh, you know, also at a very young age, you know, I found my, my cousin who committed suicide in my garage. So trying to understand life, trying to understand yourself, trying to understand any purpose was really hard. And did did you find community in the in that punk scene? Like, was that a first place you found community? I mean, I think it was it was going through clubs. I was too young, and I was still doing it. Um, you know, hanging out um, record stores. I mean, because you didn't have uh, the internet then, so you just hang out at record stores, or you know, we used to go to Melrose and go to Hollywood, and and then we found out West Hollywood. Mm. And, and then you know you don't fit in. You don't fit in the in the goth scene, and you don't really fit in the gay scene. And then you don't really fit in East LA. So where the hell do you you know fit? Who was your like crew that you were traveling with at that time? I mean, you don't have to name them, but I just mean was it was it like friends of a similar age? Was it people that you who would I, you have been doing those things with? I hung out with older kids. I think because they had more access to getting out of wherever I was. Yeah. Um, I think also I needed to, I needed someone to look up to. So, um, and I didn't realize it then. Um, uh, but, you know, I picked up friends in different pockets cause, you know, sometimes those, those, all those different worlds don't meet. Um, right. That's, yeah, fair <laughs> you enough. Know, <laughs> you know, I used to get like quarters thrown at me at, at the, at at gay clubs because I look like a goth kid and they're like, you know, go take the fucking bus to Helter Skelter and get out of here. It, and it was mean. And that sucks. You know, it's like, like, where, 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 where do you belong? But you know, you figure it out, you figure it out. And I, um, you know, I felt like I was lost for really trying, trying to normalize at one point. I tried to like be normal. I tried what to, was that like? Oh, it was awful. I was depressed. I was so depressed. Like, I'm like, this is boring. What did, you, what did a version of you that you consider normal, what did that look like? I tried to get a, a you know, like a, a, a basic haircut. I tried to grow my hair out. Oh, my God, that period was horrible. But, you know, I was never really a pretty girl. And so 
trying to be any type of normal just looked awkward on me. Like if I was in drag. Um, but, and I was such a, like, like, um, everything about like any type of feeling, I, it, I internalized everything. And it was really hard for me to kind of like just be vocal or do things or, you know, like I just carried so much with me. I bottled it. And, um, yeah, I mean. What was your first moment of relief from that? Or like your, it doesn't have to be the moment, but I just mean, how did you start to find relief from that? Um, huh. I think that there was different moments of relief in different parts of my life. You know, it was like that one time I sobered up, that one time I didn't kill myself. You know, there was these, you find something in the darkest corners that kind of like lifts you up. Um, and there's sometimes, sometimes there's a voice in the back of your head that's just like, you're not done yet. <laughs> no matter how awful it feels, it's like, you're not done yet. Um, and so I, um, I had different, different coming to Jesus moments, I should say. And one of them was definitely when I was coming to terms with my, my gender expression. And um, and what that looked like. What were you realizing? Um, you know that I was, you know that I was pushing not only with like modifying my body or you know that tattoos that piercings that the body was uh, elastic, and that you can a vehicle. And I didn't realize that I can take it one step further. And and also is that step me? Like, you really had to really juggle and do all the weight. And, uh, but I'm like, am I going to lose my, my feminine identity? Like, like my, me being raised female, because that's something I'm very proud of. I don't want to put that in the back of, like, it never existed. Like, it did, it did exist, and it shaped me. And I didn't want to be this, like, you know, aggro, what I thought was going to be, like, irritable, aggro, like, Dude, I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And it took me a while to kind of find a balance in all of it. Well, that's it for this episode. Please come back and keep listening in 2019. Happy New 